welcome to Stringer Podcast number 24. Two dozen. Bente cuatro. At least I think that's how you say it. My ability to speak foreign language is god awful. I'm sorry if my voice is a little bit raspy. I spent the day recording a couple new podcasts for you guys, which is really exciting, but I don't want to jump ahead of myself because we got a really good one this week too. Gavin Day from CB24, a writer, is here at Gavin L. Day on Twitter, at Gavin L. Day on Instagram. I met him actually in my first year getting into sports, which is really cool when you make these friends, when you're breaking into a new industry, and then years and years and years down the line, you can keep in touch, you can see where you guys are at, you can see how he's evolved and pushed forward and moved into news, you can see how I kind of stayed the same, didn't ever leave sports, but a great conversation with Gavin Day. really appreciate the fact that he came in. I actually wanted to start off this podcast talking about some serious stuff. You know, we had an election that happened recently in Ontario. Some of us are happy. Some of us are not happy. There's a new guy that's in office. Regardless of what side of the line you fall on, it's things that affect us all. And then Saturday happened, and without rhyme or reason, Donald Trump decided to invade the Canadian headlines in the most ridiculous way possible because he felt the need to storm out of the G7 summit and then over Twitter, because there's no better way of communication, insult the prime minister. And I realized as trying to write this bit that there's no good way of talking about serious stuff anymore because it's just all ends up in fucking politics. And you know, quite if you know me, yeah, I'm interested in the state of the world and I'm interested in everything that's going on. But I like to be the happy guy. I don't like to be the guy like remarking on insults and accusing one country of 270% tariffs on dairy product that they don't even fucking import. How many U.S. companies bag milk? Just please answer that for me. If they are willing to bag our like 9 million liters of milk for us each week, then 100% I believe it's a big deal. But I think our dairy industry is doing fine on its own. So you know what? Forget it. I'm moving away from current news. I tried it for half a second. It didn't work at all. I'm going back to what I know works well. And that's talking about the weekend. Another Stringer Big Weekend coming up. All kicks off Friday night. You know, a little bit of charity, a little bit of do good. The fourth annual All-Star Gala in support of Sick Kids takes place this weekend. This year, the gala is at the Toronto Event Center on Friday, June 15th, and will again bring together an assortment of professional athletes and personalities from hockey and other sports, including MCJ Onright from TSN. You probably know Jay. Funny gentleman. Was on TSN, went down to Fox Sports 1, came back, kept being funny, loved the guy. The evening features past and present athletes and personalities with live performance by some of Toronto's best musicians and DJs, as well as an open bar, hello, with raffle prizes and a silent auction. So guys, please do yourself a favor, open your wallets, all-star gala in support of Sick Kids Hospital. I have a shoot on Friday, but I am supposed to make it there afterwards. So let's go, hit me up on Twitter, we can meet up and have a free drink at the bar and maybe spend some money on some stuff that we didn't really need, but we appreciate it for a good cause. Saturday, Alan Cumming at Massey Hall. Do you know who Alan Cumming is? How do you not know? So I I, I dated this fantastic girl who was totally into uh, Broadway and live theater, introducing me to Alan Cumming. Not that I really needed the introduction, because he's on The Good Wife, The L Word, the new CBS crime series, Instinct. He was in films Eye Wide Shut, Titus, and he's written stuff. 
New York Times best-selling memoir. Alan Cumming is at Massey Hall, the Tony Award-winning actor and activist, is many things to many people. Renaissance man, style icon, social activist, but to himself, he is a storyteller and provocateur for hire. Ooh, I like the sound of that. I want that on my business card. He became an American citizen in 2008, and Legal Immigrant is a cabaret of songs and stories about his life and loves in his adopted homeland. How would you go see Alan Cumming, you might ask? Very simple. Seat Giant has the hookup. Just go to SeatGiant.com, look at the search bar, type in Alan Cumming, A-L-A-N-C-U-M-M-I-N-G, and ta-da, tickets at your fingertips. And if that wasn't good enough, use promo code STRINGER and you get a little discount on those tickets. That's right, SeatGiant.com is your hookup for all sorts of sporting events, music, festivals, cool shit happening around the city, just go to SeatGiant.com, always use promo code STRINGER, and you can get a pretty sweet discount on just about anything you want to do in the city. But we're not done yet. Sunday, Taste of Little Italy. So we've we, we, we've opened our wallets, we bought some cool stuff, we did some charitable stuff on Friday, we saw Alan coming, we laughed, we joked, we cried maybe a little bit on Saturday, now it's time to fill our Belly. On Sunday, it's your last opportunity to check out the Taste of Little Italy, which takes place on Call Street between Bathurst and Shaw, where the roads will close to vehicle traffic as we welcome thousands of pedestrians to our annual Taste of Little Italy street festival. Enjoy live music on multiple street corners and on the main stage, extended patios, multicultural vendors, amazing food, and carnival rides. Did you say carnival rides? I sure did. Carnival rides. From restaurants and street vendors, make sure to come on an empty stomach. It's the only way you can properly enjoy all the classics like authentic Italian pasta, wood-fired pizza, and traditional and non-traditional flavors of gelato. Sign me up. If you're looking for something a bit different, you won't be disappointed as the festival is known for its diverse and multicultural food options. Kick off the World Cup on College Street and enjoy the taste of Little Italy and a lot more. What is more? I'm not really sure, but the script said a lot more. So enjoy it, will ya? And remember, if you hate my ideas, I completely understand. You can find your own smart-ass idea by going to SeatGiant.com, searching whatever's going on in the city, you know, they have a nice little list already curated for you, or you can search something yourself. Sports, music, festivals, live events, cool shit. And use promo code STRINGER to get discounts off all your tickets. That's it. Enough talking for Clay. Up until the next talking part, Gavin Day on the podcast, writer for CP24, longtime friend, really good dude. Between me and him, though, exists only one more thing. That's the sax. <laughs> text me it's like we're buddies yeah. like what are we <laughs> my friends even then like sometimes my friends text me and i don't respond yeah because i'm just not in the mood yeah when a client texts me i feel like i have to i prefer text to any kind of phoning text is your favorite well i worked in a call center for three summers for bc ferries and they're a well-liked company in bc and it's sort of you know you develop a phone phobia so yeah. this tick when it's just like oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah don't <laughs> ring yeah. don't so please to, please don't ring fearing the worst of either stupidity or just rage yeah. yeah sometimes i ask people like because we can go on speakerphone on our phones or yeah. i can include something else in and i i'm like can you 
can, can, can we do this on the office? Let's sell my phone my cell phone. I'm like, you want to call me back on my office phone? They're like, you have an office phone? I'm like, it's in every email for a reason. Come on. I got cold last night, didn't yeah. I? So I fell asleep on the couch yeah. uh, nice. because I'm a winner. Yeah. And I think that's what real winners do is they go home at 7 o'clock and they fall asleep on the couch. Yeah. And I passed out at like 7 o'clock and I woke up at 1 and I'm frigid. <laughs> I am so cold at 1 a.m. And I had to close for the first time in like two months. I had yeah. to close my patio door because... I don't have air. Like, I have air conditioning, but it doesn't work. Hey, and so you want to have, like, the, the, the patio door open as much as possible. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was cold last yeah. night. What was going on in Toronto? Can't kids. make it. Like, oh, really? Yeah, I think it's like, I think it's just going to be sort of in the high teens, low 20s for the next little bit, which. It's actually not a bad temperature. No. At all. High teens, low 20s. Compared to what we'll have in a few months. Yeah, exactly. My dad, my daddy's still a joke where he said he could tell, he could tell the weather, like, you know, because of his background, he's like, oh, I can predict the weather. And at first, like, you're five years old or six or whatever it was. Right. I was like, really? <laughs> you can tell the weather? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I know in about, you know, six to eight weeks, it's going to get incredibly hot. Yeah. Like, you don't want to go outside for any more than half an hour or else just your skin's going to burn. After that, it's going to start to cool off. He's like, white stuff will fall from the sky starting in November. And he told that joke repeatedly, even though it only worked the first time. We're like, yeah, yeah dad, I get it. Yeah. You're real funny. You have a new friend over. That's the, what the, I think. The dad joke's when you're like four, and then it's like, oh, fuck. So, you know what I think? It. I think what makes a joke a dad joke is the fact that they keep telling it, even though you know the punchline. They have because the usual ones to run through. The first time, it's a joke. The fifth time you hear it, it's a dad joke. Yeah. You have a new friend over, you know, Timmy's at the table with you. It's like, hey, Timmy, did you know I can tell the weather? I'm like, God, no, dad, stop it. And, and it works when there's a new audience. But when there's one person who's always hanging around, no, it's, it's like, like oh, your sorry, kid. Here we go. Like yeah. your kid. Yeah. The lesson of this <laughs> is to get new material. Gavin Day on the podcast. Well, we're underway. Yeah, we're, oh, oh, surprise. Geez. It's a rolling start. Oh, okay. It's a rolling Whoa. start. Caught Just to get guard. into the conversation. Okay. Because the last thing we want is, hello, welcome to the Stringer Podcast. We have Gavin Day joining us. It's not uh, that kind of on, show? No, it's okay. not that kind of. I'm not that kind of talker. <laughs> Come on, I'm loud. I'm obnoxious. Uh, biker extraordinaire is how we're going to introduce you. You bike to the office. I guess. It's, it's a be, quick 10-minute ride. You be cyclist. What part of the city do you live in? Uh, East End, Greenwood, Gerard. So. Oh, boy. I love the East End. Me too. It's brewery adjacent, so I have several to choose from. <laughs> Uh, one of them knows my name and knows my order, so mm. we've reached that point, which Amazing. is awesome. Yeah. The whole craft thing, I was listening to another podcast where they had been told, I believe it's Sam Adams, claims to be the first craft brewery in North America. I kind of call bullshit because at a certain stage, you're too big to be a craft brewery, at least in my head. Well, that, and I think it's been around for a long time, so how can you be claimed to be the first craft beer when you predated the term? Exactly. You're like, <laughs> oh, so like niche brewer, niche beers that's not made by Molson or Budweiser is considered right. craft? We must be craft. Yeah. You're like, no, you're just old. You're just a different big company. Yeah, you're, exactly. Yeah. You're just a smaller big guy. Yeah. You're like TELUS. Yeah. Right, you're not Rogers, you're not Bell, you're in the, you're kind of Tellus. Which, yeah. hey, no disrespect to Tellus, no. 
but you're not part of the big two. No. Uh, craft breweries, they've really found themselves a home in Toronto. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I yeah. don't know. I mean, having having lived in BC, I like to say I was at, you know, went to university in Victoria and we had it. I, I like to say we sort of had it first out there. We had, I, you know, some great stuff uh, before and then they sort of moved here and it wasn't tons and now it's just rolling out all and over the place. It seems like every other corner they're like, oh, try our new, like, I think of, was that Flying Monkey? That's out of Barrie, Ontario. But Flying Monkey, that's yep. pretty good beer. Yep. I live on Mill Street. Hey. And Mill Street can be considered definitely a craft brewery, even but though I they're kind of getting big. I think they were bought by one of the big ones. I don't even know if really? that counts anymore, no. I think. Mm. Did Dylan gives it his nod of approval. He's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I think Mill Street's now, because it's Mill Street and it's the old like um, distillery area, they could be bought by Brick Brewers and I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Even though Brick is, I think, owned by someone bigger. <laughs> I'd be okay if they were owned by Brick Brewers. I don't know if I'd feel if it was owned by, like, Labatt. But it is. I mean, we're, we're my area. I sort of added them up. And within maybe a 15-minute bike ride, there's, there's five or six that have cropped up. Now, what constitutes a craft brewer? Like, if I were to make it in my bathtub, am I a craft brewer? I guess in your own mind, it could be. <laughs> uh, you could say that to your friends. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's some sort of standard where it's under X amount or... Of sales, you think Of, of sales or liters you brew or, or what. But yeah, I think you just have to sort of look at, at what constitutes... But yeah, by all accounts, I guess you are when you're an, art, you're an, an, yourself. an artisan yourself. Sure. I mean, you might not be selling anything, at least not legally, but... I, I'm always curious. Yeah. Well, for me... Because it's a brand new craft, like even big... Big places come up with what they call like an all-new yep. craft line. Oh, yeah. Or then and they buy the, the, the smaller right, breweries. Just like you were just, saying, they buy them. Just update, Mill Street is owned by Labatt. There you go. Motherfuck. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah. That ruined. I'm still getting my, my organic after work. <laughs> Good old 100th Meridian will help it all go down. But yeah, it always interests me. And you don't just find it. Apparently, this is a beer podcast. Welcome to the beer podcast. Looking for a sponsor. We, we, we can talk about this all day long. Um probably could but you don't I definitely (laughs) like how many beers have you tried there used to be uh, a place up on Bloor and I don't know if it's there anymore it was called it's called Beer Station they bragged that I believe they had over a hundred types of beer on tap and then I'm gonna get this wrong but then like whatever 250 types including all the tall cans and bottles and all like that and you have a start day right and they'd have your name on a sheet and they keep it in a binder at the back. And if you could get through all the beers in a year, they gave you a really shitty jacket. That's a great idea. But we always wanted the shitty jacket. Of course you do. Because you and a bunch of friends go in there on the same day every year. And you, like, this is the official. Now we would set a Facebook group, but we probably just, like, you know, talk to each other in that time. Yeah. But we'd cool. set a start day. And we'd go in and we'd see who, it was then a race. Like, who could get to the maximum it was like an exercise challenge but with beer but with beer yeah yeah it is the proper way to challenge your friends of course exercise challenge Really? Well, you is know, they're the thing. They, yeah, they, they're those things where it's like you and your friends, you mark how, how far you walk. You yeah, or how, like I used to, my first reporting gig was in Fort St. John, BC, and there was like a walking track, and every winter there'd people like tally it up and go with your team and see how far you can go and <laughs> that kind of thing. So. One of my favorite, when I think of craft breweries, one of my favorite trips I took was out to, of all the places I've been, was actually St. John, Newfoundland. Yeah. And, and I love being out there. Uh, I just, the people are great. I love the music. I love the food. Of course. It totally works. I, I actually, by the end of my trip, 
seriously considered buying this house that was for sale right on the bay. Like, and of co- I'm sure it was affordable too. Of course, oh, it, was, yeah, it was right yeah. on the water. What a novel And concept. it's like 170000 oh, or whatever. Crazy. You're like, oh, I can't get a... Madness. I can't get a 400 square foot box for that in Toronto. I barely can get a parking spot for that much. <laughs> so I, I loved it. But we, we walked from our hotel... Uh, my girlfriend at the time and I to a little village called Kitty Vitty, which they didn't really know where the origin was, <laughs> but they believed like in some translation, it's like that little spot we once saw or something because it was its own little inlet after the, the main uh, mm-hmm. St. John Bay. So we walked and had the, when like around 2000, they changed all the fishing laws and and a lot of the fish refineries, I don't know what they call it, the uh, place where they canneries? do all, Canneries, thank yeah. you. They do all the gross stuff to the yeah. fish. A lot of them shut down, so this one had been repurposed into now a brewery. Awesome. And, and you go in, you go on this tour, it's great. And I always expect, like I've been to a few of these where you go in and they give these little Dixie cups of beer. You're like, here, here's our four different samples. You know, you can try it all and you can have some cheese or whatever it is. No, we got straight up drunk. Like they gave us, they served us, first of all, full like plastic cups. They weren't, (laughs) no glassware there, but full plastic cups. And, and we drank for probably like we drank until we didn't want to drink anymore. And then we left. They didn't kick us out. There wasn't a time limit. Anyway, so when I think of it, Kitty Vitty, when I think of Craft Brewery, I think that was the first one I ever really well, got into. That's what you love about it, is that wherever you go, it's almost, it's that little bit of that authentic, wherever you are, flavor. Right. Where, you know... I, fish I, flavor, I, if it's Newfoundland. I, I, no. <laughs> if we're stereotyping. We, we put a little bit of fish oil in all of our beer. Well, you never know. Some wacko person <laughs> might... I wouldn't, you know, you walk around, you see some of the crazy things, I wouldn't be surprised. And honestly, and I might not even taste it. Yeah. I might be my favorite beer in the world, and I find out it's because there's fish oil in well it. it's the one with guinness wasn't it wasn't there fish bladder something in there once upon a time where don't I, ruin guinness i, for I me. don't oh god never I, I'm, I'm now gonna try well it. that they took Taste out it. when i think vegans or vegetarians were like well we'd like guinness too and they're like okay we don't need it and i don't know i, I don't know what I, I just it's a vague one of those anecdotes. really that had one of those really weird it's things true. yeah it's like uh please don't sue me guinness. It, 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 it's a tall tale it's an old wives tale exactly oh is that old wives tale there's a term i haven't really dissected that's your homework old wives that's well it's just like kitty vitty but there are some also no, some, yeah. some, there are also some silly newfoundland yeah. names where we could dive into the etymology of two that you know maybe on another episode. so you're in victoria uvic i Is did it, go to uvic you went to uvic uvic Grand. um first of all disclaimer i didn't go to post-secondary hey. at all um bad idea to anyone listening don't well, it, not necessarily it, i don't know it takes a really long time to get in anywhere well, when they look down they're like oh high school that's cute Depends on what you're what you're doing. You don't sure. necessarily need to. Because I, I mean, I got an English degree with a minor in French. Fortunately, I went on to do a broadcast journalism diploma. But what do you do with an English degree that you can't, you know, teach? Well, that's it. I don't want to <laughs> teach. I was I was an average English major student. Plus, I was working all the time, so it was just sort of like, all right, let's yeah. just get this done. Yeah. But you know, Victoria is this great place. So I've spent. Uh, I think I've taken three trips over to the island. Oddly enough. I was I was a kid when I was really young. I wrote so many short stories. My brain was just full of them, and and they'd be whatever twelve pages long, or like both sides, obviously not double spaced. <laughs> and as I read back through them, so many of them take place on Vancouver Island. It's a magical place. It's but I had never been. Okay. But in my brain. I picture first of all this area of the country where the mountains meet the ocean, 
And that sounds exciting when you live in uh, Holland Marsh, where I grew up. Like, it is flat as flat can be. And the most interesting thing is, you know, how big are the carrots going to get this year? But then now you have a large island. Mm-hmm. You have, like, it, you have to drive hours to get around it. So it wasn't until my adult life that I ever uh, headed over. And now I've been, uh, obviously, Nanaimo, Victoria. Uh, I spent some time in Shemanus, Hey, which is an interesting little... Murals. Uh, mural, exactly. It was when I guess when the logging industry comes kind of took a tumble they had to reinvent the city yeah so there's there's the big theater now and it's it's a quaint kind of summer touristy place it's which, great yeah i love we moved back we, i've moved a lot and uh, i've bef- moved a before lot. you vic we my parents are still in duncan so shamanus is a stone's throw away duncan so. actually i think funny enough do they have like a a weekend i don't want to say fair what's it called farmer's market farmer's market it is i that's one of the things i miss most i mean duncan was one of those places i moved from ottawa in grade eight right mm-hmm. before high school and it was a, a shock a little mm-hmm. bit because i went from ottawa to okay there are a lot of people yeah, related to, to duncan um, <laughs> uh, well, yeah and i mean it's one of those places where there's not much going on we'd go to victoria to do stuff yep. we'd play soccer and all that but you know having grown up i guess as i have and going back there there is so much locally grown food. And yeah. for some reason, that's become so important to me. And going around there at that farmer's market, there's just so much good tasting food. And I, I do a lot of cooking too. So it's one thing I miss because outside mm. of Europe, where that's the one of the parts I love about Europe is all the markets is Duncan is probably the closest to it. And yeah. it's it's a great part of spring and summer and fall weekends about living there. And it's, it's, a, it's a lovely valley and there, there, there are some perks to it. The one thing I really know, I don't know much about farmers. Like I grew up, First of all, as I said, in the Holland Marsh, which is one of the most fertile. You know your carrots. I know my carrots. Okay. And I think they have turnips and some root uh, vegetables. Yeah. Some okay. all, all the vegetables you don't want to eat as a kid. <laughs> like they kind of they grow right near my house or my, my, my family home. The one thing I did learn about farmers market and I farmers markets and I certainly appreciated uh, when I was in Duncan is you buy the best pie at a mm-hmm. farmers market. Mm-hmm. And like, honestly, you're supposed to go there to buy fresh produce. Yeah. Forget that. Yeah. Clay's like, oh, look at that. Oh, do I want that one or do I want that what one? What helps is that the pie was probably grown right next to the oven, essentially. <laughs> that, <you know. laughs> the, the ingredients leapt themselves into the crust. Exactly. And then it just kind of shimmied over they into the oven. They just knew how delicious they were going to be. And the people, the people, uh, <laughs> people who tend to farm land and make these, whether jams or spreads or pies or whatever, uh, they really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You say that you like to cook. Like, There's an appreciation. When you have an appreciation for where it all comes from, as you do, and, and what goes into just getting the piece of food mm-hmm. and what it can do for a meal, you know how to best use it in there. And so you get the best, like, oh, sweetest, most interesting. And if it says you know, weird berry pie or something, you know it's going to be amazing. You might might as well just pick it up. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Can't agree more. So you said you moved a lot. So Ottawa till grade eight. Ottawa, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Well, my mom's hometown. For like a year. I only remember the bridge. So when I moved out here and I was driving, (laughs) I'm like, I remember that. Anyway. I I was there once. Yeah. Comox, BC, back to Ottawa, and then Duncan and my parents are still there. So uh, post-secondary all around there. What brought, I'm guessing it's work. What brought me here? No, what brought your parents oh, yeah. all Dad over just, the place? Dad just had some different work that he just sort of took different offers. and it, we Was it all in a specific run. field or was he a field jumper? Uh, well, he's a, he's sort of a health and safety trainer and, and technician. So he designs a lot of courses. He investigates when, when incidents happen, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, he got a couple jobs in, in pulp and paper mills. And in BC, that's had 
sort of a bit of a rough go. So he's, you know, he went out once, did one thing or a couple other things there, and then got an offer in Ottawa with an original partner, uh, worked there, and then went back mm. out for another thing. So we, yeah, we... we I like to say out. that I moved around a lot, but, you know, after leaving Hull and Landing, Ontario, it was like St. Clair and Dufferin, then to Oof. another place at St. Clair and Dufferin, <laughs> and then to Bathurst and St. Clair, and then to Young and Eglinton. All right. And well, then you know, you know your and then to Jameson and I didn't really move. Like it, <laughs> you have all the inconvenience of moving, yeah. of having to pack everything up, box it all, get it ready, and then I really just moved well, down the, the street. The fact, the fact that it is just a short distance is kind of aggravating. It's kind of like all right, new adventure, new right. excitement. Oh, it's the same place. It's, but it's like there's my old house. It, it, I see a different side of the CN Tower each time. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's like oh, and now I can view it from the east side. I'm like oh, that's that is much nicer. Uh, no, it's all the same. But yeah, so there's. <laughs> I, I I don't know if I have a hometown, as someone pointed out to me once. But it, it you know, if I meet someone from Ottawa, oh, I'm from Ottawa. If you meet someone from Victoria, yeah. oh, I'm from Victoria. So it works out that way. So I have several hometowns, and yeah. Now, funny enough, like coming into today, I was like, what, what, what can Gav and I talk about? And adaptability in just media in general is so important. You can't, Absolutely. I think, at any point, dig your heels in. But perhaps what made you so great at being adaptable was the fact that you were moving around as a kid and you're always reintroducing yourself and, and, and meeting new groups and adjusting to a new town. Well, absolutely. In some ways, yeah. I mean, because there, like you said, I've you know gone from you know some sports media through working sports communications back to sports media. Now I'm more in on the news side of things, and you know being free to adapt is is something that I guess I've had coming up. At the same time, I'm sort of in one place for a little bit, and I'm like, why haven't I changed? Yeah, yeah. Why, why is I it still on? the same? And I don't know if I'll ever get that level of comfort <laughs> thanks to moving around so much. But um, yeah, I mean, it's you know you almost have to. There, there are some people who just sort of say, "Oh, I'm a sports reporter," and it's like you mm. might we might want or to more be than able to do other more stuff. than that. Oh, I'm just a hockey reporter. Oh, that too. Or or I'm just a football reporter yeah. or soccer reporter. Well, I mean that, that more than anything. I look at I look at the main sports, and I'm not huge on the, the big North American sports. And 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 uh, admirable because you're a dick. Maybe yeah. probably <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and you look at someone who Take comes that, up who's Kevin. Says, who's someone who says, I only want to do soccer or yeah. I only want to do hockey. And it's just like, you know how many guys are already in hockey who don't want to give up their jobs. Yeah. I mean, some people do force their way in cause they're very good and maybe I'm not, but just keep your mind open to, to other opportunities. Because if you have your mindset on one thing, especially in this field where there are layoffs just about every week, yeah, you're not going to be in that for very long. Now, uh, I, that's not fair to say you're not very good because <laughs> where, where did we meet? Toronto Marlies. We, we met in hockey. We did. Toronto Marlies. Yeah. And, and although it's not the NHL, of course, but at the same time, if you're in London and you're covering uh, the championship and not the premiership, you have a pretty dang good job. True. You're doing all right. Oh, yeah. And, and I relish my days, especially how well the Marlies have done this year. I relish my days in the AHL, and I learned a lot there. Oh, yeah. And you're dang good because we work side by side. Well, Kind of side by side. Kind like of. we were sat beside each other at a press box. Exactly. For me, it was the little thing. Like there's, they always had a very good pregame spread of something uh, ordered they, from somewhere. Oh, that's and right. And while did. you ha- while you have to pay at some of the bigger teams for press box meals, that one I'd sort of go in hungry and ready what, to eat. It's tr- 
they did have a very big meal. Uh-huh. Like not, it wasn't just good because they they kept us on our toes. Oh yeah. Oddly enough, I don't want to slag one team, especially another team from MLSE. But you know, when I went from AHL and then I went over to. MLS. Wow. I think I had some better meals in the AHL. Well, they gave you quantity too. <laughs> you, I remember well, burrito night being like these giant things. Just, to be fair, in TFC's defense, they didn't exactly have the quantity of of, of media. That's true. Per, perhaps that's very devouring true. all the. Food. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, oh well, yeah, the TFC games. But it's gone in twenty I, seconds. It's, it's, you have to get there first, or else you're just getting like the brown leaves of the salad. Yeah, and that's all you're getting. And all the, the tomatoes and stuff on top are just gone. <laughs> what were some of the good ones at at the Marley? So you said burritos. Yeah, I remembered chicken and steak fajitas. Yeah, they're they're good pasta nights too. I they're remember. great. They had lasagna night. They had right. lasagna night. I remember. They that. had burgers sometimes. Yep. Remember where. They pre-stacked. I don't. They, they pre-stacked the patty, the I do the, the lettuce, and the that. tomato, yeah. and you grab your bun from one spot, yeah. and then you grab this and little stack of stuff, and you, yeah. and you decide what you want to put on, the, and then there, fries. Weren't there quesadillas too? There work. Yes, yeah. I, I remember that. You know when they'd get pizza, it'd be like, oh, you guys are phoning yeah. it or in. Chicken tonight. fingers. Uh, like you chicken. get chicken fingers. I, I which, I, that's that's one of my kryptonites. Where you just oh, like, I'll it? grab a stack yeah. of those. <laughs> How many chicken fingers is the right amount of chicken fingers? Uh, you're talking to the wrong guy. I can I, I can binge. I mean, I can embarrass. That's where I embarrass myself is that, you know, you can be any formal media event and I'm the guy noshing back at the table and it's like, hey, hey folks. You're in the press conference after the game is done and you realize there's still food in the media room and you're like, oh, this is perfect. I want to be back first. This. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny when I, when I think through media meals, I also think how certain buildings get pegged. So, uh, Bell Center, the free hot dogs that are in the Bell Center. Free hot it, dogs. It became like a, a state, like you always wanted to make sure if I was going to do a Leafs trip, well, first of all, because it's Montreal. Right. But honestly, in my head, it's because there's free hot dogs right. sitting there. And I just thought that was the greatest addition. And then at the time, their counterpart in the AHL, which was in Hamilton, the Bulldogs always had free popcorn. Like they had the old timey popcorn oh, machines. Nice. And and you were in little, they didn't have one big media room. They had a bunch of little like broadcast rooms. Yeah. And so you'd only be in a room with six other people. And each room had their old, own little old timey popcorn, oh, nice. popcorn machine, which you dig into hard. Yeah. When I was still in school on the West Coast, BCIT, Broadcast Journalism Program in Burnaby, BC, I'd do some coverage of the uh, the Vancouver Giants, the uh, WHL team, which I think has moved out to Langley, but at the time was at Pacific Coliseum, where the Canucks used to play. And it was, you know, I'd write a very short story. It wouldn't make a lot of money, but that would be, yeah, you know, it'd be essentially by Friday or Saturday night when I'm in school. I was so cool. Um, but Because they got a writing gig, guys. Well, like, that's what I'd say. Like, I'm not just paying to be here. Yeah, I'm being exactly. paid to do this stuff. I mean, there'd be maybe a handful of us in the press box covering it, but they would have Nando's chicken. Oh boy. They would have, they would have popcorn. They would have cups pop. And then they would have Tim Hortons and it'd be like, all right, I I'm making, I, I probably ate more than I made that one night, but it was, that was always the perk that I remember most. I remember the, uh, Mississauga Steelheads. I was there. I think they weren't the Steel. Who was there? Who was in Mississauga before? Dylan. I always looked at Dylan. Sports question. I'm He's like, I'm a terrible sports guy. Uh, Who was in Mississauga before? Oh, they're the majors. Ice dogs? They're the majors. Oh. I remember uh, covering Memorial Cup in Mississauga and 
they had the oddest. So they had these little warming plates like you'd find in a dorm, but on it, they just have single slices of pizza around it, but it kept it warm. Then they'd have Timbits. They wouldn't have donuts. They'd have little boxes of Timbits. And then they'd have like this other candy in a glass jar that you could unwrap. And that was your meal. And I wasn't, and Tim Hortons, of course. And I wasn't against it, but I always thought it was funny because it was it was the weirdest mishmash of food or how they decided that this would be the appropriate meal. Yeah, uh, we had the pleasure when we we're working covering the Marlies. Dallas Hakins was the coach. Yep. He went on to no talk about. It's hilarious that you remember that because every time I see it, still, uh, coach. Coach, can you talk about your team's uh, ability to defend attacks in the third period or whatever? He sent around that article saying, you know, that's lazy journalism, basically. Don't use the term talk about. Which I sort of took, didn't have to do that. Just just don't honor the question, which he did. But I was sort of like, come on, come on, man. Do you really have to do our job too? I know you're a really, really good AHL coach. But are you also a good AHL journalist? When you guys lose, can I ask why you left the third line out on the ice? Yeah. Why Why did you staple Nazem Kadri's ass to the bench for all of the first period? Why? Why? Don't, or just send him an article saying that it was a bad idea. Exactly. Um, but he went on to Edmonton yep. and he reformed the uh, the press meal oh, really? in Edmonton. Yeah. I don't know if you, you remember that? Yeah. Dylan, he got rid of all donuts in the press room. Oh wow! Because I know I know he's a big he's a, he's a big health guy, isn't he? A huge, cyclist? huge health nut. Yeah. Great cyclist. He's done the Ironman Challenge, which I he's, believe is in, or not the Ironman Challenge, Death Valley Challenge. Something where I think it's running and cycling. Okay. Uh, in some stupid desert, yeah. like, and I, it's the desert's not stupid. I say stupid. The race through the desert. It, is. The fact that yeah. it's in bajillion degree heat. Yeah. And you're on terrible terrain, mm-hmm. uh, and you're basically killing yourself. Yeah. I think that I think it's wild, and I have tons of respect for it. I think yeah. there was actually a mini documentary about it no, yeah. about Dallas doing it. I think it's incredible. Yeah, huge health nut. Took out the donuts and the press meal. All the reporters were mad, and damn it, so would I. Yeah. I'd be I'd be like, listen, there's some things you can't touch, and when I have to show up at the rink. In Ed, I'm in Edmonton. Oh, there's nothing wrong with I'm Edmonton. In, it's not that I dislike Edmonton, but you know what I want when I go it's to a cold-ass cool. ice rink in the winter when right. it's still dark outside? That, I want my yeah. sugar and I want my coffee. Like, like, just leave it alone. But it, it is funny that whenever sort of I go to a place where there are stairs and I'm running up the stairs, people go, oh, you didn't want to eat? I'm like, I'm going to be sitting for three hours no, and I'm going to be eating <laughs> stuff. We're watching people <laughs> exercise. I should get some of my own in there. I remember when I was covering the Marlies, I would go to the gym during Leaf games, and I would, that's how I think, because you have the little TV, I was in a nice gym at the time, Great. you had a little TV on whether you're the treadmill or the uh, gym cycle machine, TV. yeah, yeah, cycle, what do you call it, the, like a stationary bike, yep. they have a little TV in it, and I'd pick a guy per period, and whenever he was on for a shift, I'd like double my time, that's a good idea, and then I'd rest, and it kept me more engaged in the game, yeah. As well, because I always know when, like, so-and-so, I don't know, Tyler Bozak's on the ice or whatever. Yeah. That's a good idea. And then it came out that the high interval training is now, like, this new fancy thing. Intensity, high interval, high intensity interval. Exactly. And then stop and then do it again. Yeah. And then keep doing it in these really short intervals. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to say that I I claim responsibility for that. Yeah. And then hockey. But, yeah, yeah, there's something about sitting there watching people run around. Yeah. And then I love the fact that we have the audacity to go ask them why they didn't run around harder afterwards. Exactly. 
That's always the fun part, especially when just talking about what we're eating, where, you know, plates are full of chicken fingers and this and that. You know, we sit down and we go on about how tough life yeah. is. And it's just like, all oh, these guys are running themselves to death. They sit in the locker room. They're dripping sweat still from the game they just played. And we stick a microphone in their face and they go... You just weren't that great in the second half. What happened? <laughs> talk about that. Talk, talk about why you guys stunk in this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and they're half naked, too, 90% of the time. I, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I, I don't. But I, I, I don't. Haven't, I, I Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm I, comfortable. I'm never going to be fully no. you know, comfortable with that. But, I mean, hey, these these are guys who are used to, you know, they're they're completely comfortable with their bodies. And if anyone, I'm the self-conscious. Right, they, they're, they're all in great shape. Which, which is probably why we feel uncomfortable with well, exactly. it. Exactly. Because we're really thinking, we're internalizing, God damn, I hate this group of people to see yeah. me naked. And, I mean, I, if, I having done a number of sports where the mix zone's the name of the game, you know, there are perks to that too, but I mean, was, there are some sports where you go into the locker room and you wait for 45 minutes. I'm thinking, I mean, having covered some baseball, that one they make you wait for. And it's just, you know, a lot of the time it's like three minutes and they're done. And it's like, well, you know, you know, quickly you can get us out of here yeah. if you just, anyway. But And if I'm you really want to know, if you really want to know how quickly an athlete can get through the shower and change part. Watch for an athlete who had a bad game. Yeah. Because they'll make it out of the locker room before we even get in. Yeah. Another guy still have 45 more minutes and they're out before we even get in. Yeah. You brought up an interesting point in the mix zone because it's very North American. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, around the world. No, not to, to have a mix zone. Okay. Very North American locker to go room. inside the yeah. locker room because there's an idea throughout the world that there's a sanctity mm-hmm. to that area. From my perspective, it's kind of neat to be in a locker room. Well, it is. I mean, it is kind of neat, but as a media person, you're, 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 you know, it's not what you're there for. It is kind of sort of, okay, to get the perspective of that. But, um, you know, I've done, uh, you know, having done Olympics, having done, you know, Olympic qualifying events, having, done, you know, it's always sort of quickly enough that they usually might just shower and change and come out uh, quickly enough because they're on their way to a hotel. Um, and there's no, it's not like the palatial a clubhouse that the Blue Jays have where you can sort of sit there and live there if you wanted to. So the perk of a mix zone in most places is that they're through. I heard Roberto Alomar still lives in the back corner of it. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't blame them. They're, I'm sure there are plenty of nooks and crannies to, to cram in there. Um, but I mean, they're usually quick enough that, that they're through and they're, they're done with you relatively quickly. And I, 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 you know, I, I don't know how one was invented and then the other one was, but you know, there is that danger with the locker room of the, the flack being like, okay, guys, he's not, he's not ready yet. Give him some time. And then a guy just sort of sits there for 15, 20 minutes on his own. And you're, you're you know, de- people who are on deadline are missing deadlines and this and that. So, um, I don't know. I have good experiences with both, and uh, I, I I roll with whatever whatever comes with. I usually presume mix zone unless it's a, a North American type sport. What I always uh, I always love seeing, but makes me reflect are those me uh, those photographs on the media level or the the whatever the, the bottom level of the Air Canada Center where you just see guys in the locker room and photos are being snapped. Like, and they're just like arms around yeah. each other. They're just a couple of pals. Back when they'd win things? Back when they won things. Yeah. But the idea, it's interesting. I, I'm in my head because the era I grew up in, completely fine with media being in the locker room. Although I remember when Jermaine Defoe first came to North America, oh, played in Toronto, and he was just 
like he didn't know what the heck was going on yeah. when he saw a sea of media come in after a win in Seattle. Did nobody prep him for that? Did nobody tell him? Or did he just not think it was true? He, I would imagine he was told, yeah. right? And it, because it was talked and joked about yeah. ahead of time. Okay, so it's going to be a big going, yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. I think it's one of those you don't believe it until you see right. it. Because he at the time was 32, 31, he had played his whole career, which started, I think, I think he started playing top fleet at 17 or 18. So he now played 14 years of his life Mm -hmm. in a certain way of doing things. And then you're like, oh no, this is for real. And the weird thing about Seattle is that you're in a football locker room. Right. So it is this already a very big space where everyone's seated around the perimeter, it's it's not very intimate. Right. But now the whole middle, where they had all been playing soccer tennis before the game, it was that big, yeah. is now just a clusterfuck yeah. of media personnel. Because not only was it opening day for MLS, not only... It was the bloody big deal. It was the bloody big deal. Yeah. Exactly. And, and people who didn't usually send anybody sent someone. People in Seattle and surrounding areas right. that wouldn't usually send people. And then people back in Toronto yeah. who wouldn't normally fly out for a game like that right. especially because everyone was expecting lamb basting yeah. like it's seattle is one of those buildings in the mls oh, yeah. that no one wants to play yep. in um because the my first fan, mls game fan is it really yeah. was that your first mls game? no my oh. first mls game was was their second ever home game against uh, rail salt lake so very, a much younger canadian international will johnson came off the bench that day was, for oddly enough that would have been a bill manning team there you go I do oh, believe. Yeah. I think. I think, I think so. Bill Manning was the uh, was the president there. So. Much, much younger Will Johnson. A thought did just come to mind that the perks of mix zones. When you go to Central America, the the, the media, the journalists are in the press box with jerseys on. They're they're essentially fans. And so <laughs> if 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 there was a locker room access and your team just won, these guys probably wouldn't be doing their jobs. They'd no, be putting yeah, their yeah, yeah. the players, yeah, yeah. and you know, that's a very good point. Uh, the, the the level I remember. Because we just did the CONCACAF run, and we got to go to some great buildings, some great stadiums, uh, Azteca. It's one, one thing people can't really appreciate is why didn't X t- Team XYZ win in this such a place? Playing in Central America is so hard. It is so... Because... And there's so many factors. Having traveled, you know, for for a big part of my career now in sports, it is pretty sweet. A lot of that you get a really nice hotel, right? You have in soccer, you, because there's no shoot around or in the morning like in basketball mm-hmm. or morning skate like in hockey you have most of the day to yourself yeah. you know the team has scheduled meals and you, you might go for a walk perhaps a meeting but the guys will kind of get out and and each of them have their little spots maybe they see a friend that's in the city it's pretty relaxed it's mm-hmm. pretty low-key uh you get to take the day at your own pace whatever's best for you and then you get to the stadium pretty relaxed the bus rides nice you're generally not that far it's not like that at all because we were under armed guard or the team was under armed guard for all three stops in mexico um i don't think we were any closer than half an hour away from to the stadium and that was in that was with police escorts right and which are crazy yeah being part it, it is everything like a Jason Bourne movie chase scene looks like. <laughs> like, it is so wild. You think, you know, in, in Canada at least, you see sirens. You generally pull over to the right side of the road, let them by. Maybe you get one Wahoo who doesn't move at all, and you're like, oh, look at that jerk. No respect. Yep. No respect. Yep. As we're driving, to be fair, it's 10 million people or whatever it is right. in Mexico City, and everyone's trying to get home from work. Right. And Mexico City, as Sean and I learned, everything is at least 
45 minutes away. Yeah. Like no matter where you want to go. And it's like being stuck on Lakeshore yeah. for miles and miles yeah. and miles. So your whole experience, you're not even in the stadium yet. And it's, you are not, I don't want to, they're adults, they can deal with it, but you aren't in the same state of mind as what you're used to. No, you're already thinking about your game and now you're being sitting there being forced to think more about it. And you're kind of locked inside your hotel. You're not, no one's allowed to leave. Like you can't even go and get a coffee. Oddly enough though, when we were in Monterey the first time, remember what was right across the street? Tim Hortons. Shit you not. There's a Tim Hortons right across the street. Wow. When we're, hello, a little piece of home, but no one was allowed to go there. Right. But, uh, at, 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 pardon? You weren't allowed? We could. We just didn't want to. Oh, okay. The last thing I need is to take up a last minute job in Mexico and then something go awfully True. wrong. There are, there are perks to not being a player, though. When I was working with Canada Soccer, we were in Mexico City right before the Under-20 Women's World Cup in 2014. There was a guy selling tacos out of the trunk of his car. And, and I'm like, you know what? That'll be a story. <laughs> oh, and you and did the, it? Well, eventually I'm sort of welling up the courage and I'm like preparing myself. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get sick later. Just prepare for I that. I just know I'm going to yeah. do it. So, so, wear body. So, so I'm like, all right, let's do this. And so in my sort of half broken Spanish, I, I, you know, I started talking to this guy. Fortunately, he lived in New York a long time. It's just like, oh, perfect. And I'm like, he's like okay. you're good. You're good. And, he's, and he's like, here, I got this, this, this. I'm like, oh, I'll get, get two, eat them, come back and meal a little bit later. I go, I'm not sick. No. That, that was that was and it was tasty. So I, I you came didn't out, get sick. I did not. As I'm like, I came out on top of this. Oh, Sean. So Sean was with me in Mexico City, and he really wanted street tacos. And I'm not that kind of traveler. Like, no? I'm there for work, and I've got to shoot a whole game tonight. The last thing I want to do is be like clenching my cheeks and looking for a stinking bathroom, right? So I play it really safe, really safe. And I'm like, I don't know, Sean. And then there's one point where I was like, okay, let's let's go get some. And the place had just closed. Yeah. And I like said a silent prayer or whatever you do. I'm like, thank goodness. I'm like, I saved myself. But then I talked with some supporters that had flown down for that match as well. They ate street tacos. Sick for like six days. Really? Yeah. Because my... my I've, I've had, you know, going Puebla, Mexico. I've, I've been there for an under 20 tournament once. And they have some of the best, apparently rated some of the best street food you know, in, in the world. Interesting. And it was tasty. Meanwhile, the time I was sick was in a hotel after the, it was, it was the ultimate insult to the eight, one game in Honduras, where this was years ago, where, you know, the, I'd covered every world cup qualifier up to that point, And then it explodes on that field in Honduras. And, you know, we go back that <laughs> night, we do all our work. We were at, we, there were, we, there was actually a good traveling media contingent at the intercontinental in San Pedro Sula. And there was me, there was Kurt Larson, Neil Davidson, Dan Girard, and then Sportsnet sent a crew. And we'd eaten there sort of every night. And after, you know, we go back, we file all that stuff. The next morning, something sort of twists in the stomach. And oh, no. they're like, oh no, this was on the, this was on the shuttle to the airport. And so we had a, I was on the same flight with Larson and we connected in Atlanta and then continued on to Toronto. And only on takeoff and on landing, suddenly, like, in fast forward, oh, last no. night's meals came up. And I mean, it was, I mean, I'm not trying to gross people up, but I mean, I, I filled up a sick bag in about 15 seconds. Really? And, and then went back. Takeoff and landing. Uh, both. It was only oh. on takeoff and landing. Pressure thing, um, maybe. Uh, maybe. Uh, but yeah, so, I, you know, 
give the sick bag, I actually lay back near the bathroom for the rest of the flight. I think Larson later told me, I thought you were in there the entire time. And I'm like, four and a half hours? Uh, and thanks for coming to check, by the way, if that was the Good case. Good pal. Yeah. Good pal. But yeah, so they moved back up to the seat and feeling somewhat better. And then, of course, I'm sick again. It wasn't obviously, uh, my stomach's getting empty. So for our layover, I'm lying on the floor in, at the Atlanta airport. We were on the same flight as another, as Dan. And he walks over and I'm like, yeah, looking up. Hey, Dan. Hey. What's hey. up? How's it going? Just, just lying on the floor. Hi. No, I'm good. Thanks. And, and one, no, once again. Don't need ginger ale. Well, yeah, there there was none. Or maybe Kurt didn't try very hard. He's like, I've got lemon lime. And it's like, <laughs> close? <laughs> They're both not cola? Anyway. Um, so the second flight, I'm feeling again somewhat okay. Uh, take off. And I'm sick again. And then landing, there's just nothing left. So I'm like, I didn't throw up, but there was nothing left in my stomach. So I'm starving. And it, yeah. And so I, I don't know how much weight I lost, but I stayed in bed for another just two days just to be safe. I didn't get sick again, but that was hotel food. That was, oh, really? That yes. was even street food. Nope. Because I think I don't think we t- had any of it. But the last time I was in San Pedro Sula, before the the last World Cup qualifier, that time where you loaded up and I'm, <laughs> I, I was fine. So, so an interesting lesson to be learned here: you're rolling the dice no matter what you do. Exactly, just live life. Depends on do you who, who did or did not wash their hands when they prepped your food. <laughs> I heard this funny. This is completely unrelated, but as soon as you think, as soon as you start talking about airplane travel, I remember this. You ever watch uh, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah? Love it. Love I, Trevor's incredible. I was I was worried at first when he took over, but I, I like what he's doing. And he's he's uh, he's got a good shtick, and he's actually going out and doing a stand up tour, I think, soon. And I might try to link up in one of the U.S. cities nice. because I wanted I want to see what a stand up routine's like because I enjoy his vibe so much. But they had this bit about this uh, evangelical preacher who's trying to buy a $54 million right. jet. Did I you heard, see that? I, I'd heard about that. Not, I can't remember if I saw it or not. So so he's he's petitioning his flock. whatever, flock, yeah. to help pay for this $54 million one. And f- oddly enough, he's already owned three jets in his lifetime, and he rhymes off the prices like $19 million and $24 million and $28 million they've been, and now he wants a $34 million one because it can go to any destination on one stop. Like, they don't have to stop to refuel, and it's important, you know, when delivering the good word, not to have to stop and refuel. because that's so, valuable hours you're So that out. was, this takes up a really good part of a five-minute segment of them just crushing this guy yeah. and, and what he's asking for. And then they go to the same preacher is sitting beside another one because they're now both considering buying jets, <laughs> which is, I, I didn't believe there was such a, like, niche market for jet sales yeah. to evangelical preachers. But yeah. now I know I'm getting into a different business afterwards. Yeah. But this is the last podcast. So this is the last podcast. I'm going into jet sales and then hopefully I get to home or I'm going to go into evangelical. evangelical I'm just going to rename Stringer podcast. I don't even have to. Why rename it? Yeah, I can just speak Bye. the good word after this. Go. I've lost so many people by this point. Yeah. No, <laughs> no one, no one's part of my flock. <laughs> but the one says the reason why they can't fly commercial is because they are tubes of demons. They're like, they are big, long tubes just crowded with demons, and they can't pray. I, apparently hope, I, I hope I see them on a flight someday. <laughs> I don't want them to get their $54 million jet or whatever And they, and they get a middle seat, and I'm the guy in the aisle being like, hey there. 
that, what's you know going what's on? funny is <laughs> Trevor Noah actually said that maybe the demons are the ones in the middle seat. Maybe. You know, eating the tuna fish sandwich, spread it with no <laughs> shoes on. Well, that makes did make me think there's a, there's a Noah stand-up clip that I did see. He's talking about flights and how when when as soon as the seatbelt light goes off, even when you're in the back row, people jump their seatbelt and they jump up. And I'm always the guy who's like sitting there, even when I'm on the aisle, I'm like, I'm not moving until no. we move, you know, yeah, yeah, deal yeah. with but he always put it there's the person who's who's standing who gets the window seat and the overhead is maybe like six inches above their head and as soon as the light goes off they're like yeah yeah and they're, and they're, and they're like and celebrating they over. being up first but they're waiting for us and they're on an angle so it's not comfortable whatsoever are you a window seat or an aisle seat guy i don't know i'm sort oh. of depending on what when you i'm sort of like yeah they're kind of perks to everything i i, I think i've set my preference to aisle but if I get window, I'm just sort of like, oh, okay. We, we travel well together there. I'm a window seat yeah. guy. First of all, I kind of tuck my head inside the window nice. and sleep that way nice. because I found it works. Yeah. But I have big shoulders uh, and my elbows then cock out a little bit. And so I get clipped by the cart every fucking uh, time yeah. it goes by. I, I, I've, one of my best skills that unfortunately will get me nowhere is the fact that I can be right out on a plane. And, and there are, per, when, you know, we're living in the East End and it takes me a while to get to Pearson. When I have 7, 8 a.m. flights or whatever, and I have to be up ridiculously early to get out there. Some, there are some nights where I, I'm always worried about sleeping through an alarm. And so I just stay up. And so then I do everything I go through. And then it's like, you know, bored. And especially if you have a window seat, you don't have to stand up for anybody. But earphones in and I'm out. That's I like not getting up for anybody. Yeah, that's my that, thing. That's a good, I just don't. A good perk I want to be left alone. I I usually have a no bathroom rule yeah. on airplanes. Yeah, because I, you never fit well in one. Like <laughs> I don't care who you are. Yeah. you could be a child and you still don't fit great in an airline bathroom. Yeah. And so I I like to just get in there and be left alone. Yeah, well that's it. And so, but yeah, I I I love the fact that I can fall. Asleep. So it, so it doesn't really impact me either way, whether it's aisle or window or whatever. Where okay, I'm out for however long the flight is or most of it or whatever. So. Dylan and I were working a project recently and uh, we had the option either the client was going to book our flights or we could book our flights. And I was like, heck no, I'm booking my flights oh, because I don't want to be at the airport at 5 a.m. Like I would, I'll take a nice 10, 1030, yep. you know, grab my connection. Hey, Dill, what time were we at the airport? Uh, is this before or after daylight savings time? This <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was, we had to, we were on 6 a.m. flights, I feel like, the whole time, and I was the dickhead booking them. Oh, look at that. It's not so easy, is it? It's not so easy, (laughs) having to coordinate all these things and, like, changing over, and then before, I don't understand how one flight can be like, oh, your flight to Houston's $137 if you fly at 8 a.m. If you want to fly at 9, it's $1,214. Yeah. yeah. Like, that doesn't make sense I to al- me. I always sort of randomly just kind of check out flights for possible things I'm doing, and then it's like, what? Why if I fly out of Buffalo, is it, you know, X amount cheaper? And that, but then, Oh, do you? Do you sometimes drive uh, well, over the border? I used to. I used to. Back when, uh, when I was first freelancing and, I, you know, I was really being as frugal as can be, there'd be times where, you know, you'd get a cheap bus down there and then, <laughs> then you would fly out of Buffalo. Uh, but yeah, I mean, after, for pre-two years with Canada Soccer and post and after that, generally, flights out of Toronto were comparable. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm just flying out of How Toronto. many years were you with Canada Soccer? Two years. Two years? Yeah, two years. Yeah. So when the, when the Women's World Cup ended, that was, that was when it ended for me, too. That's, what a great time, then. 
It if was, you were it there around, busy. like that would have been twelve to fourteen. Am I correct? Uh, women, oh, thirteen to fifteen. Co- thirteen to fifteen. Thirteen to fifteen. So they're coming off the bronze medal in London yep. in twelve. Yeah. And what an incredible group of just human beings. Yeah. That to to be able to work with them yeah. uh, for you and then through the women's world. Well, I mean, Cup. I, I mean that too. I mean, I always got along very well with with a lot of members of of Herdman's staff. Uh, you know, the team manager is this delightful woman named Maeve. I miss her very much. She is great. Isn't I, she? I miss her. You know, she's everybody's mom on the road. But then we'd also, you know, we'd chat about Arsenal. We'd chat, you know, and that's maybe one of the things that because I mean, I'd be in there with a couple day, times a year. Um, I'd be with the men's teams, the women's teams, the youth teams. But you know, and then. And, you know, other guys of the staff where, uh, you know, my job would allow me to finish at X amount of time. So when we're in a place like California or whatever, I'd, you know, I'd go out for a drink by myself and be sad alone guy at bar. Title of my autobiography. Well, there you go. I, sad alone guy at the bar. That's that, that, <laughs> nightly. That, that was me a few times. <laughs> anyway, three beers left in the fridge. It's also the, the other title of my autobiography. <laughs> that's part two. Um, part two of an autobiography. That's interesting. There you go. Well, well, we're well, on to something. Well, here. wasn't there like Wayne Rudy didn't get like a three book deal where it's like life so far and then continuing on. I don't <laughs> and then know. life so far again. Um, but yeah, well then, then when camps would end and you know, just a solid group of men and women and we'd, we'd sit and we'd chat and we'd laugh and yeah, it was just that, that, that whole unit, the players always, always friendly, uh, the staff, great people too. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's, that's the sort of the side that I, I, I miss a little bit, but it's a solid group of people. Talking about adaptability, you then move over to noobs. Yeah. What's that transition? I'm, I'm interested because I've always had it in my head that I've wanted to work in news. Yeah. So that's why I ask, I'm actually like, this is my kid moment where I'm like, what's it like? Well, that's it. I mean, I, I, in, in the last sort of year I've been writing it at CP 24, which is breaking news in downtown Toronto. And I hadn't done news in, in a good few years. I've also now started doing some stuff out at CTV news channel as well. And I'm honestly, I'm always, I'm very self-conscious about it because having just jumped right back into it, into a breaking news environment, which is different from, you know, you're working towards your six o'clock news. You have all day to, and you have, you have to get stuff right in a short amount of time. And I am, I am paranoid that every time I put something off and they're like, it's good. And I'm like, it's good. It's yeah. good. Yeah. And, and of course there is someone to, you why know, do we get squeaky voice when we get nervous? But it's so true. Don't we? But we always were like, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you know, there is, you know, obviously there are people who, who, you know, are checking things in advance, but it's, uh, you know, when I get by, when I survive a day, it's like, okay. And I don't know if I'll ever kind of get used to that, but it is totally different from, you know, when I was writing more, whether it's CP or for Yahoo sports or whoever, where, you know, you have one or a couple things to do. You have time to, to, to push your deadline. But this is, this is a bit different and it's, it's challenging and, you know, I'm glad I, I'm doing it because it's, I, I always sort of said when, when I'm in school, people are like, oh, you'll do sports. You'll like sports. And I go, that's not what I want to be known as. I want to be versatile. I want to, I want to, you know, equally chat about what's going on in country X, Y, and Z than I am about, you know, last night's game. And so uh, I'm glad I'm doing it. I, I'm probably, you know, losing a few years off my life as I go in every day. And it's my, and, and, well, and, it's, and it's my own doing. Um, maybe it's just cause I, I'm a little anxious or what, but it's a new challenge that I've, that I've sort of taken to and who knows how long it'll go for, but it's, it's the joys of freelance right now having working in a couple different newsrooms that can now sort of say, uh, I'm not free that day. I'm not yep. free that day. And, and how does breaking news happen? 
Like it, it, that seems like a really dumb thing to say, but somehow someone has to get informed that something just happened. Well, and I have no idea how. Well, it works. let's. I'll just. I'll, I'll. I'll try to sort of sum up the uh, the Mississauga bombing. Our assignment editor up at the desk goes, "Yeah, we just got a call from one of our freelance shooters. And there are a number of freelance shooters out yeah. who who can do stuff in case. Obviously, there's no camera available. They monitor uh, radio chatter, all this and that. But he's like, you said there was a bombing in Mississauga, and we're like." we don't hear anything that police has tweeted nothing that, you know, and then, you know, nobody's posted any video to social media. So, I mean, social media is, is, is a thing now today where, uh, you know, if someone posts something where it's like, this is what's going on, you can go, okay, can we, you know, and then we start to sort of pay attention a bit more, but we heard that call and it's like, you know, what's going on that one of the producers who's upstairs, he's like, I, I don't know. And then sort of little bits of information start seeping in. And then you start hearing the chatter and then, you know, their units, and then, the, you know, the blurry pictures from afar get posted yeah. on Twitter. And then, you know, you, that's when you sort of, especially in, in this newsroom, you, uh, at the end of the day, you don't have a lot of resources available. There might be a reporter still working with a camera. And then you try to, you know, if they're nearby, they're like, can you get down there for a hit at, X o'clock kind of thing. And it's even more challenging, like I said, when our live ends at 1130 and it's 1040 and it's like, you'll get maybe one hit. And then, you know, it's a matter of gathering, I guess, what you can for, for CTV news who might want stuff or others. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of it is, is they have contacts with, with police and paramedics and, you know, they all have social media accounts and then it's sort of assessing of, okay, what's, what's sort of the severe one. But yeah, this was different when someone said, yeah, there was a bomb in Mississauga and we're like, really? Yeah. Uh, a bomb. Could, could there really be? Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. Like it's, it's well, normally you'd just be safe and say, well, there's an explosion. Right. But this was Okay, and then little bits started to trickle in on social media, and then chatter, and then uh, you know, then you phone the media lines of the various places to get what details they have, and then sort of you piece it together from there. You obviously don't go to air unless you have stuff confirmed. I clearly am not very good at social media because how do you do? You just search. Yep. Like, well, yeah. I mean, Mississauga. Yep. You search, Mi- like, Mississauga explode mississauga bomb you know it's a matter of you know when you get people say oh is when you hear oh is this street and this street you type in that street and uh you know there are a lot of times that that starts to to bear a little bit of fruit and uh, and then you kind of go from there but it was it was yeah because it was it was weird uh how it all you know we're all 45 minutes away from going home and then it's like okay. oh we're not 45 minutes away from going home anymore is that Okay, so if we take something that's not, and we're going to come back to this, okay. but you take something that's not an explosion in Mississauga, yeah. is it the assignment editor's job to deem it worthy for you to go to work on it? Or do you kind of start going down roads well, there's, and then bring it to him? How does that all there's, there's, work? There's a few of us where, I mean, there's an assignment editor, there are writers, there are producers. Oh, thanks. Um, and, I mean, if the assignment editor sends out information where there's, sort of, you know, it's, it's a sort of a a collaborative effort. Um, a lot of times, especially like on a Saturday here, this was my Saturday a couple weeks ago in the last maybe 45 minutes of my shift, there was a stabbing, there was a hit and run and there was a car that drove into a tree and you sort of go, okay, those are all, you know, you get the details and you're like, okay, those are all kind of things. And then you write it. You, you, <laughs> they are, they're definitely. Well, yeah. Most definitely and, things. and so it's a quick, you know, we call them this just ends where, you know, this just into CP 24 and you just sort of, it's a quick 
you know, quick and dirty copy of this is the information that we have. Stay with us. We'll provide information as it happens kind of thing. But uh, yeah, generally it's some things are obviously clearly things that you get that first little bit of information out and then they sort of decide I'm never really a part of that decision, but they decide, is it worth it to send a reporter there to, to do a, a live kind of hit? A lot of times it's a very quick process that assignment editor producers, they, uh, yeah, they really sort of figure out what gets done. When you decide to run with a detail or to go with a detail, like you find out that the suspect is dot, 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 yeah. or this thing, I even think of the... The, the van attack. The, the van attack. Yeah. Young and Lawrence? No, it's not Shepard. Shepard. Yeah. What, at what point, like, what's the mechanism? There must be some sort of, like, fa- we're living in, and I hate to say this, we're living in a very, quote-unquote, fake news society yeah. where I think all it's done is brought higher scrutiny. Yep. Yeah. To those who are reporting supposed facts. Yep. So what's the trigger? What's the mechanism to make sure? Is it one of the major? It, it w- I think it would have to be. I mean, uh, obviously, like I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not one of the, the, the reporters in the field. You totally um, are. Well, I'm not. No, 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 no you're totally field. a reporter. I, I write, Actually, yeah. you're a senior editor. Actually, you're running the news division, right, which yes, is awesome. I, r- I run the show. Oh, we, have the head of the new, we, we have the head of the news division on the podcast today. It's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when, the thing about like like 2-4, when, when police aren't available to chat, they chat a lot with people who might have been witnesses or this and that. And, you know, they sort of say witnesses say police haven't confirmed right. this fact. And the police, you know, the, the authorities provide the official confirmation for yep. things where, you know, but then when, when you hear stuff, we, you know, we always sort of have to, to preface it with, you know, this is what we were told. Uh, witnesses have said this. It's not confirmed. So, you know, you always have to be very careful because, yeah, if you get something wrong and something like that, like, you know, if someone said they heard him say Allahu Akbar or something and you run oh, with that, 100%. then you're in trouble. Yep. So I think of the, the, the Boston City Marathon bombing. Yeah. And that was, you know, someone thought they heard yep. a description of one of the suspects and they got the people ran with that and they were completely. Well, off. that's it. And I remember someone someone ran with, you know, there were a lot of people listening to police chatter and it was broadcast, not broadcast live, but it was on the Internet. Yeah. And people are saying, oh, we hear this name and they do a little research. And there was some poor kid who had disappeared from a university not far away. And they're like, they look alike. Yeah. They look Must similar. Be him. Must be him. And that's where it's like, OK, police. Police chatter is not official. They're working on all kinds of serious, you know, and so it's so true. But of course, but of course, these people just think, oh, we've solved this. Social media for the win. Citizen journalist. Yeah, social media for the win. We've solved it. Good job, everyone. Take that, CNN or NBC or whatever. And and then it's like, yeah, it wasn't that poor kid, and his family is still worried that he's missing. Good job, everybody. You know, is discretion then really the that that barrier that lies between the citizen journalist and those who do it professionally I don't know I mean I my the other thing I rem, one thing I sort of remember from school is is you might have a story but is it really worth it to either burn a source or yep. you know maybe you know hurt damage someone's reputation is it, uh, you know is it is it really in the public good to to come out with something and, yeah. and i mean i i have no practical real world experience of that but it is you know one thing that you do always sort of have to be cognizant of is um it might be it might be something that's that's this big that gets you a little notoriety for the next 
week and a half, two weeks, yeah. but is it worth it to destroy a source you might've had for a few years or, you know, that kind of thing. So I think there's always sort of the, I don't think the, the citizen journalist or whatever the, the, the are, are bound by being aware that their actions affect relationships, affect, you know, a number of things. I, you know, that's sort yep, of just completely. off the top of my head kind of thing. So do you watch the newsroom? Uh, written which by one? There was the Aaron Canadian Sorkin. one and there was the Sorkin one. No, Sorkin one. Okay. I've never uh, I've seen, seen the Canadian one. I didn't it know was, there it was, was a Canadian It was a number one. of years ago. I think it was in the early 2000s. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, check this out. Yeah. Man. And now that I've never seen that one, the Canadian one, it's funny. I knew about it, but now having been in media for a number of years, maybe I should. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I've, see seen, I've seen chunks of the Sorkin one. I do obviously want to see more because I'm a huge West Wing fan. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. Is one it day. weird that I'm a big Jeff Daniels fan? Like the, I think that's how I From fell Dumb into and Dumber it. to all the way. Will Arachnophobia. We oh, go back wow. to like the scariest movie of my childhood. Wow! And and it's Jeff Daniels playing the father and the the new doctor to move to town. But I'm a huge <laughs> Jeff Daniels fan, and obviously yes, I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. Yeah. But uh, whenever I think of the news world, that is my only basis. I I have I live a life based on movies that I've seen or TV shows that I've seen, and so I totally think NASA works like Apollo 13. And I definitely think when we <laughs> finally colonize, colonize. That's colonize. Yeah. It's going to be exactly like the the movie with Matt Damon, right? Of course, you'll grow potatoes in shit, in shit, and then every once in a while, blow myself out of the room yeah. because I forgot about the the carbon dioxide I'm exhaling. Yeah. Silly me, I can't do my math. <laughs> newsroom. That if I can share one thing with everyone, I think it's always newsroom. But I think that was uh, a running theme in that is is making sure. That you have discretion. Well, I remember. That, something. I remember. I do remember that scene from the news from the Gabby Giffords shooting in Arizona. Right. And everybody else is, why haven't you gone? She, they're all saying she's dead, she's and they're dead. like, no. <laughs> And, and, and that, that happens in the sports world. Like, actually, it's a perfect example when we think of the death of uh, Pat Burns. Oh yeah, twice reported. Twice. Oh, like right. the first yeah. time, and then he actually came out and said, "No, guys, thanks, but I'm, I'm still okay. alive. Yeah, I'm cool." And unfortunately, later he passed. Yeah, but just get your shit right. Yeah, like it's it's the weird thing I think about social media and everything now, where we just jump on it. And and want to be the first. To yeah, get and it out I, there. I think in I think in in Canada um, newsrooms, you know, I you know having only been in a small sort of handful of them, I think there is the the need to get stuff right before you get it first. It's not as cutthroat as other places right. where. Uh, but border. from what I've seen, from where you, know, you have a president in, whose in fingers my, on my the button. Very, in my very small role, I've seen people who have been professional and yeah. wanting to get it right, and it's been it's been cool to see. On that note, Gavin, I have kept you way over our hour. Dylan, do you have any questions? No, good. I didn't think so. <laughs> that, that one flew by. Poor Dylan sitting in the back there. Doesn't even get doesn't even get three words out the whole time. Gav, on behalf of myself and obviously Dylan, Sean in the other room, not on the bookcase. Luca, who does all the editing for us afterwards. Good luck. Thank you, pal. I really appreciate that was it. Fun. I'm glad you, I'm glad you came by. Yeah, now too. we like to end everything the exact same way because oddly, like a lot of this to me is is you know you can make big change by focusing on little things if that makes sense. So I end every podcast by saying be good to yourself and eat your vegetables because it's one of those very small things that <laughs> I think if you just focus on that you can make a positive improvement in your own life. So with that in mind, everyone, please, please, please be good to yourself. And eat your vegetables. Says the cyclist. <laughs> <laughs>